0: We should have Heather do.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to a very special edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease, here with my good friend and co-host, Richard Harris. And we are brought to you today and every day by our good friends and sponsors at Salesforce, Vidyard, Outreach, and Reggie.ai. Check them out. Get into conversations with them as you head towards the end of 2021 and take a look at getting off to a good start in 2022. We are here with a very special guest today, someone I've been excited to talk to for a while. We had this set up, and then snowpocalypse happened in Austin in February, and it's taken us a while to get back, but we are here with Heather Monahan, top 40 female keynote speaker, best-selling author, confidence creator, top 100 business podcast creating woman, also CEO of Boston Heels, TEDx speaker. I've run out of descriptors. Welcome to the show, Heather.
2: <laughs> okay, Scott, not bad. Excellent. A on the effort on the intro. Thank you very much.
1: And after all those
0: titles, I think we're gonna have to wrap up now, Scott. So <laughs> okay. done. Thanks, thanks for coming. Yeah,
1: I got an A on the effort, and like a B, B minus, maybe B plus on the quality, which is sort of me to a T. Richard. Yes. Yes. To so
0: we, we have com- multiple conversations that B plus can be good enough sometimes.
1: Okay. <laughs> I want to, I want to start off the conversation. Uh, there was something I was thinking about and I follow you uh, across a couple different platforms. And one of the things that I think is cool and you're pretty public about is your relationship with your, with your son. And one of the things that I want to know is, do you share with your son, the things that you talk about publicly and that you coach people on confidence and transparency and business and finances and all this kind of stuff. I'm curious about that. If, if he's old enough to get it.
2: Oh, my gosh. This is so funny. So right well, on, there is on where my son seems, how, yes.
1: Sorry, Heather.
0: How old yes. is your son? Because con- I think eye context matters.
2: He's 14. Okay. So. I live in a small two bedroom apartment in South Beach, right? And so we don't have a lot of space. So with last year being a basically virtual um, life, he was you know, essentially virtual for the whole year. He was in the next room listening to every single meeting I have, every single virtual keynote I give. And he comes out laughing hysterically after all of them. He said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just talked about me and shared this story. I can't believe that person said this. So he's so knee deep now in my content. It's actually, I, I get graded by him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if he if he's absorbing some of it and, and ask questions about it. Because Richard and I both have two boys, roughly the same age. I'm 13 and 11. Richard's are 12 and 10. No, nope, 13 and 11. You're 13 and 11 now too? Yes.
2: We're great missed, friend, Scott. A <laughs> uncles, Scott. <Exactly. laughs>
0: not my, my sponsor. Yeah, Scott was preaching earlier before we jumped on about how
1: good of friends we are, right? So, you know, well, I'm just not that good of a friend, exactly. Um, but my my kids like have absorbed some things, and they're asking me, and they've heard me, you know, train. They've heard me pitch people, and they ask questions about it. And I just think that I'm a big fan of that because my parents never talked to me about this kind of stuff at all. This is not some of the conversations. I, I was just wondering if if you're passing that along and then, you know, kind of setting him up um, to be in this frame of mind. Sounds like yes.
2: Yeah. You know, I really believe the best way we can teach our kids confidence or business is through example, right? And I lived this firsthand this summer, which is so crazy. My son had always been a great student until virtual school. He didn't do well. He had to go to a month. Sleep away academic camp, which is obviously you guys can feel, you know, that's pure hell. So he goes off to this summer camp this summer, and I'm taught, I only can talk to him once a night for 10 minutes. He hates it, of course, you know, just as we would imagine. And then all of a sudden, one night, I get a call. He's in the emergency room and he's broken his arm. As a mother, I went right to okay, he's obviously done, right? He's coming home. I mean, this did not work out with his left arm, he's left handed. Okay. I need to get on a flight and get to New Hampshire. Took a few days. I get to New Hampshire. I'm walking up to see him and I'm ready to take my child home. He walks out and he says, okay, we can go to the hotel for the night. I got to be back tomorrow by 10. So I'm, I'm thinking, this is weird. We get in the car and I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing really well. I mean, you know, we can do hard things. And I said, tell me a little bit more about that. And he said, you know, I'm teaching myself how to write with my right hand. Getting changed is kind of hard, but I'm starting to figure it out. And he starts going through how every adversity he's finding a workaround or a solution. Or, and I just started crying and I thought to myself, maybe the fact that I got fired, you know, was really hard for him and he saw me crying, but he saw me get back up. Maybe yeah. the fact that he's seen me go through all these moments are really starting to come together. So to your point, I think that they do really, they pay attention a lot more than we notice.
0: I want to jump in and just say, can you send us the name of that camp? Because Scott and I are going to text it to our kids and say, look, we love you. We know you can do your schoolwork, but if you don't, this is where you're going.
2: Wolf bro. Or, yeah. Wolf bro, New Hampshire. Let's go. Or,
0: or we can send you to the surf camp that I found out about for next summer. So you decide, right? Like <laughs> what, um, I mean, so many places we can go. I, I, I and it, it it's interesting because literally I had to have a a conversation with Bodie about something going on in school. And he's like, dad, I feel like you're talking to me. Like you talk to your clients. And I'm like, is that good? He's like, yeah, that's good. You're just trying to teach me something. And it was just sort of through that osmosis, which I think you're hearing. Right. And Scott, I was going to ask you offline, but you know, what do your kids think about what you do kind of what I do? Like, do they have any desire to it? or Are they still sports minded?
1: Uh, I think that they're very interested in in finances and what pays and what types of jobs yes. you can actually earn. They have very um, expensive taste. Let's just say, you know, my kids are like, "Oh, I want a Lamborghini," and right. meanwhile, like, I drive a Prius. <laughs> like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that flashy kind of person. I'm like, where are you getting all this from? Oh, you want that? Well, this is how much that costs. This is some of the ways yeah. you might be able to get there.
0: Right. No, we're, we're having that conversation, too. And, and Riley, our 13-year-old, f- f- is exploring communism. Like he's been reading books about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a whole other episode. Uh, but I keep reminding him that we're going to get back to Heather in a second because this is her show. <laughs> but I keep reminding him that you don't get this lifestyle in communism, right? You get the lifestyle they tell you to get. So it's it's been a very interesting few months. He's read some different books and, you know, he's kind of, he's very worldly in the, pol- in the political arena. Uh, Scott, I think you'll, you'll sit down and have some conversations with him in Costa Rica, Thanksgiving, and you'll be like, where's this kid getting all this? So, but Heather, coming back to you, like, does that increase his desire to do business? Like, how are you, like, what, what, are what are the glimpses you're seeing? Cause I think we're all talking about that glimpse of future which is important in business in general terms, right? But it's also a life skill.
2: You know, to me, and I, when I work with people, we talk a lot about this. What was it that you loved to do when you were young before people told you you couldn't do it, right? That's what I talked to a lot of people when they said they can't find their passion or their purpose or whatever. For me, looking at my son, he's always been an athlete, been obsessed with basketball his whole life. However... I remember since he was three years old, he would be the announcer at games. Even if he was playing a video game, he'd also be the announcer. So as he's gotten older and, and we're able to talk a little bit more about income and revenues in different phases of your career, you know, I totally encourage him go for the NBA, you know, go, go big, you know, I, who knows what can happen. However, you also have this other part of your potential, your skill set that lends itself to. You could be an announcer. You could be a, a TV personality. You could do so many things that, that go beyond just playing in basketball. If you know, if you choose to. I, lo-
1: I love that you have this backdrop that says "Overcome Your Villains," which is one of the books that you've written, and you've written a few. What What do you think has been so the most rewarding part of authoring these, these scripts and, and continuing to go back to the well and like figuring out what well, I actually have more to say, because if you haven't been through the book writing process, um, it's absolute hell, at least for me, it has been hell. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, what have you, what are you learning about yourself and, and how that like propels you forward to just keep doing it and finding more things to say?
2: I'll tell you, for me, writing a book is not the hardest thing going through the publishing process and the promotion process. Right. That that's a lot more arduous. That's the grind, you know, literally, you know, sending every email, following up and pitching yourself and whatnot. So that part can be can be really challenging. But the actual writing part, I don't find to be too horrible. However, the thing that keeps me going is the messages I get from people, right? And it's almost serendipitous. I'll be at a low moment struggling, you know, upset with my publisher or frustrated with something and all of a sudden I'll get a DM on LinkedIn saying, I just finished your book. I'm quitting my job because of it. I'm so grateful to you. No, you hear these amazing things where people are willing to take a leap of faith because of something that you wrote that uh, changed the trajectory of their life. And to me, that's just, that's everything.
1: Do you you feel pressure at all to Find something new to say, to create something new and and different rather than just, um, kind of repeat yourself or repeat what somebody else has already said?
2: No, I feel like, you know, anytime you're creating authentically, you're, it's going to be different, right? I'm not, I haven't written a series. I guess maybe if you were doing a series or something of that nature, it would lend itself to be a little bit more repetitive. Um, but my, first book was just a compilation of my lowest moments and how I leveraged those to create confidence and how the reader can too. My second book is a three-part process that anyone can implement to overcome adversity in their life. So they're, while they both have personal stories, they're different stories and they're structured very, very differently.
0: How did you, I mean, what did you do early? Like what was, you know, were you the, the business-minded? Young woman, were you the lemonade stand person? Were you Girl Scout cookie person? Were you like, where did your business desires come from?
2: Growing up poor. So I grew up really poor. And when you grow up poor, you don't want to be poor. So when I was nine, I started a paper route, you know that led to at 11 or 12 busing tables to working fast food restaurants, to waitressing to ultimately bartending, which now when I look back you know, the, the, that decade or decade plus was really around refining my sales process, my sales approach and my sales skills. And, and I had no idea that's what it was at the time, but it ended up being this, you know, a blessing for me in business.
0: It's funny. I used to work for a, that that what was the alternative news weekly, that cool paper where, you know, all the bars and clubs were listed and who was playing, you know, pre-internet days. And uh, we constantly hired out of the service industry. Like we constantly hired those uh, young men and women who were like just the best bartenders, best waiters and waitresses who were ready to get out of that. Like there's something also very appealing about that job, right? It's often nighttime jobs. It's party time jobs. So it's also let you know, it also, it also let us know they were ready to get out of the life, that particular lifestyle. <laughs> They're ready to start adulting. So, um, but that those sales skills are absolutely impressive coming out of that industry for sure. What, um, what was your first big break in business? Do you remember?
2: Yeah, my first big break was a result of a big breakup. I um, I started out working for the Gala Winery. I got sexually harassed when I worked there. So I quit and ended up just falling into the radio business. Did really well my first year there. And then my boyfriend, who I lived with, cheated on me. I was maybe 23 and I was devastated. I went to work and my boss said to me, How about this? What if I tell you, I'll make you my partner? What if I tell you, I'll make you a very wealthy young lady, but you're going to need to leave town, get on an airplane and move somewhere that you've never been before. And I thought that means I get to escape this ex-boyfriend that, you know, just cheated on me, sign me up. (laughs) So I immediately said yes. And I jumped on a plane with him, became his partner. We went and bought a $25 million property in Saginaw, Michigan. And it was my job to accelerate revenues as rapidly as possible so we could sell and we sold that property for $55 million in under three years. And that was my big break in media.
1: Wow. Wait, how, I got to know more about this story. What did you do specifically to take a $25 million property and turn it into a $55 million property?
2: Well, I mean, there's a number of things occurred, right? So one is, The industry was in a growth phase at the time. And I think that's really important for people to understand. I didn't understand this when I was younger. There are different industries and some industries are growing, some are declining. If you are an industry in decline, pick your head up and get the heck out of it, right? Because I ended up, I stayed in that industry beyond the point of, you know, when it started its dissension, major dissension. And that's not the time to be in any industry. So, but at that time it still was in a growth phase. So that was a key indicator and smart that, you know, you're buying a company to, to turn around and sell and do it in a finite window. You need to move really quickly. So what one of the things that you wanna do is you're gonna need to do things differently, a lot faster, more efficiently, more effectively, and, you know, increase margins um, rapidly. So the first thing that I went in and did was it was a very tenured team, primarily male, you know, in the Midwest, and and a lot of what you would anticipate a lot of people who just didn't work really hard and yeah. were somewhat complacent. And so I went in and had a very direct conversation with everybody. Clearly, they weren't happy to have a 23 year old female coming from Boston as their boss, right? So that didn't go great on the first day. However, I was very direct and I set the expectations. I said, listen, you know, I'd love to have all of you stay. However, we all know that not everyone here is going to be staying. So why don't you look at this as your tryout? Here's what my expectations are. And I wrote everything out on the board of what I expected of everyone on the team. And I let them know, I will be doing this with you. I will be leading this team. And, um, you know, immediately there was eye rolls and whatnot. So then I said, guys, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. And I ended up letting a few people go. And within that first month, I turned over almost the majority of that sales staff. And I started recruiting people from food and beverage business, started recruiting people from outside of the industry that we were in and people who wanted to move fast, break things and get on board and have fun and make a lot of money. And so we really overhauled the team and completely changed the culture.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I want to come back to something you said, which was, you know, you're, and you didn't know this till later in life, you hit timing, timing's really critical and recognizing you're in a growth industry. What are those identifiers to you? Like if you're going back and you were going to start over, right? We're going to start a new job, you've got this or new business and you wanted to figure something out. How do you, how do you tell that something is in a growth phase versus a downturn aside from what you just see in the media, right?
2: I mean, you need to watch trends, right? And you need to look at multiple industries. This is a big mistake I made. I just focused on media because that's what I knew. And a lot of people do this. You focus on what you know because you feel safe and comfortable there. So you have conversations and access information primarily from people who have the exact same perspective you do. That's death, right? Right. So you wanna be speaking to people in technology. You wanna be speaking to people in aviation and manufacturing in, in industries outside of our country so that you're getting a more holistic view in regards to what trends are we starting to see come into your business, your industry, and your world, and where could they be going and moving?
0: Yeah, and then how do you encourage someone, like, you know, look, Scott and I are in sales, right? We're in sales, leadership, sales training. Um, um, You know, we're starting to see this this smidge, not quite like you, of of influencer capability. how do we, let's say we're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go focus on this type of sales industry outside of SaaS or this type of thing. Like, how, I guess here's my question. How do you encourage people to get out of their comfort zone? How do you encourage someone other than, hey, you just got to do it, right? And maybe that's all it is. But how do you get someone to get uncomfortable?
2: Well, first of all, it depends on the person, right? Everybody's motivated by different things, and it's really gaining an understanding of that person. You know, is it their family that motivates them? Is it personal development? Is it revenue that motivates them? Is it buying a home? Is it, you know, who we have to figure out who that person is. I don't believe there's a one-and-done methodology for, for anyone. It's really, you know, spending a little bit more time to understand what is the complexity of that person, what motivates them, and then how can a lot of people just need to hold themselves accountable. Sometimes you just need to give someone a deadline, right? You just need to say, "I, I here's the timeline and it's got I've needed I need a decision back by this date." Sometimes it's just that simple. It's these small things that we need to hold somebody accountable to. Sometimes it's them having you believe in them. One person can truly change another's trajectory of their life, their business by just simply believing in them and giving them that courage and that confidence.
1: You you spend a lot of time leading teams and 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 sales teams did you find the transition to going out on your own to be a little bit lonely at
2: all yeah it still is i mean that's without a doubt one of the hardest things for me that coupled with the pandemic right that took away live events yeah. has been and i'm the most extroverted person as now, man, now you're like
1: really isolated in a way it's right? really
2: isolated yeah. even my son will come home from school now because he's back in school full-time and he says, "Mom, you got to get out of the house." And I said, "Mom can't get out of the house. Everybody wants to see her on Zoom. Nobody wants to see her in real life anymore." And he's he's right in that it's exciting to get out and be around people if you're that kind of a person, which I am. So yeah, that's definitely the hardest part about this.
1: Yeah, do you think it's do you think it's harder in the 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 lower kind of moments or the frustrated kind of moments or harder in the wins because you can't there's nobody to like turn to and give a high five. It's like, who am I going to celebrate with? Right. It's like, I close a deal. What am I going to do? Text Richard. Hey buddy, I closed the deal. Great. I mean, I, I I'm, I'm curious about that if it makes the lows harder or, or actually the highs harder.
2: It depends on the person for me. I, you know, last night, it's funny that you say this. I was just announced um, one of the keynote speakers for the world summit in November in Denmark and the lineup's insane. And I was so excited. This was such a win for me that I started texting the link to all my friends last night. And I was so, I'm happy to do that. That makes me happy, right? For me, the hard moments are when you get bad news or the deal didn't come through and you're alone and you don't have anyone to say to you, all right, come on, listen, we can do better than this. You know, we've been through tough. Like that's the moment where I like having my people around. But do
1: you, do you then do the same thing when, when the kind of loss shows up? you send out those text messages because you're looking for support amongst people who know how to relate to it?
2: Typically for me, what happens is my days are really back to back to back. So I'll get bad news in between something when I go to my email check. So then you have to go right back on, right? You have a virtual keynote or so there isn't really that time to mourn that loss in the moment. But every time I get a break and come out of something, I'm down again, but you don't necessarily have enough time. So I usually wait till the end of the day. And that might be when I would reach out to a good friend or, or someone, but it's much harder for me to process those, those low moments.
1: Is it, do you find that it's difficult for people who are not entrepreneurial or even a solopreneur to comprehend and relate to what you're up to in this journey that, that you're on in particular over the last few years, since you, you know, I don't, maybe we should have started with the story, but we do things weird here. You know, you were a, uh, VP of sales for a long, long time, super successful, got fired, got divorced, big changes going on in your life, and then created your own company. And like, you've had this new career and this new, this new path now. Um, I just wonder if it sometimes feels like, man, who, who can even relate to this stuff that I'm going through? Do you find that challenging at all?
2: Yeah, it's been interesting because the people in my old world, the, which I can relate to them because I've been there, right, corporate America. I know exactly what it feels like. I know the challenges. I can relate to their challenges. They're now unable to relate to mine because they yeah. haven't left. And it yeah, there's a, a very clear demarcation between the two. They can they have no idea what it's like on this side. However, you know, I can still understand um and, and relate with them. I now had to forge new networks of friendships, partnerships, and people to reach out to that are, they can relate to me, they are in this space. And, and so now I, I really can't talk to those people in my past about what I'm doing now, because they just don't get it.
1: Yeah.
0: How do you, because you, know, you, you come from this uh, humble beginning, um, you built yourself to where you are. There's always setbacks along the way, personal and professional. Uh, how do you just address the mental health side of things, right? How do you address when it does, you're so energetic and so positive. And like, even offline, before we started, you were like, you know, we were just having, we were cutting it up really easily and fun. And we are here too, but there are also downtimes, right? For everybody. How do you, What's what's your go-to to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Do you like to marinate in something for a little while and then go, okay, that's enough. Like, you know, how do you do that?
2: I mean, gosh, I, I, number one, I was in therapy my whole entire life, right. Major issues from my childhood, a really hard childhood, So I, when I was old enough, you know, once I was out working and and had income, I put myself in therapy that went on, you know, for my whole life, literally, and lots of different kinds of therapy ended up getting into hypnosis, which was for me, game changing. I mean, that was like, it was unbelievable how much it helped me. Then I started learning about EFT tapping. Then I started learning about eye rapid uh, movement therapy. There's so many opportunities available to people to try different things to help with anxiety or challenging times or or whatever it may be. And um, there's also supplements, right? There's so many supplements out there now that can help people. So I definitely, I'm super open-minded into, okay, I'm dealing with a hard time right now. I know it's temporary. However, how can I make this more palatable to get through this window of time? You know, whatever challenge that you happen to be facing. And um, yeah, it's, I don't have a, uh, just a simple solution. I definitely try different things and, and try to break things down piece by piece to look at them as, okay, you know, I'm dealing with this one situation now and I know I've gotten through other hard things. I can get through this too.
0: Yeah. That, that line you said earlier about with your son is we can do hard things, um, that my wife speaks that line a lot to our boys. Um, So it's it's interesting and I'm glad to hear it. And I'm glad you had a real healthy, positive attitude. You're the third person in the last month to tell me about hypnosis for mental health. So I've got to explore that myself because
2: Oh, Richard, this is serendipitous and I haven't done hypnosis in years. However, my son has to go to school super early and it's the mornings recently have been real challenging for me. I'm feeling anxiety driving over a bridge when I take him to school. Really, it's dark out and it's not a good feeling. I made an appointment for tonight with my hypnotherapist who I haven't seen in years because I thought something's off. Like if I shouldn't be getting anxiety, driving a car, it doesn't make any, there's no correlation there. Right. So I'm thought there's something else going on in my mind. I must feel like things are out of control in some place in my life. And I know I've done this before. It fixes things quickly for me. I'm going back to it. So I highly encourage you to do it. And I'll give you my contact. Soon yeah, please
0: to. do. If, if you're comfortable will. doing that, I would absolutely. So
1: Scott, you should do it too. I've, I've done you. hypnotherapy before have you I, I have done everything that you could possibly think of except you know an ayahuasca trip down in Peru or something like that right which I'm not that above sounds
2: scary <laughs> I, I'm not about
1: I'm not above it though I I, I I would I would potentially do it but that's a little bit that's a little bit scary uh yeah. it's scary. I, I've done hypnotherapy and and I I enjoyed it I really did
0: what are you seeing out there in the business world right? So last year we went through 2020, and there was this massive, you know, down, now we're in the back in the spike. What are you sort of seeing in your view of the good and the bad that's happening out there right now?
2: You know, I personally had I don't know why I think that I can forecast the world, but I had forecasted in my mind that come Q4 2021, we were going to be back, right? It was going to be 2019 again. And so for me, I had forecasted live events. I had forecasted things to be my business, to be operating very differently. I have a new book coming out. I forecasted that we'd have, you know, a book launch events in every major city. And what's happening now, which my publishers couldn't have projected, I couldn't have projected, is because, you know, things aren't fully back, we're having to have this, you know, longer virtual world, which I don't think anyone had really planned for or had hoped for. So it's definitely... Um, and it's what Scott was saying you know earlier it's a, it's more about being isolated staying back behind and then how can you help companies through this window of time because it's not just me you know that's on virtual it's all of my friends and all their different industries and all of these challenges that most companies are dealing with not being back together
1: i think one of the things that is always interesting to hear about is somebody who's got multiple streams of income and multiple projects that you're working on in addition to dealing with you know, our own personal challenges and then parenting and all that. So how are you managing your day and this kind of time management buzzword, if you will? How do you decide like this project is, is worth it and this one's not? Is it just, is it ROI based completely? Is it passion projects sometimes even if there's no ROI? Like how, how do you think about that? And how do you manage your day as a one woman show?
2: Yeah, no, I am totally ROI based. However, there's also commitments. When you sign a deal with HarperCollins Leadership, you commit a certain level of promotion behind the book. So that's become a top priority these are the scary moments. And as an entrepreneur, you don't know if the ROI is going to be there, right? I made a commitment. I I did a deal with these guys back during the pandemic, that this is how I was going to promote this book. This is how I was going to get behind it, knowing that the time would come, which I'm in now, right, that I'm going to have to let other things go so that I can focus on book promotion, not knowing what that ROI is going to be, because it's unknown. You never, anytime you create or write a book, as, as you know, We don't know how the marketplace is going to respond, right? We hope it's going to be great. We hope we're going to sell millions of copies, but you may or you may not. So those kind of moments as an entrepreneur, as a rookie author, are um, it's it's scary, right? It's just that unknown and and just saying, hey, I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to go all in on this. I'm going to have to let some other revenue opportunities go to push through on this promotion and push through on the commitments that I made in hopes that I made the right decision.
1: Yeah. I, I always try to explain to people, you can pick up this new thing, but you're probably going to have to put something else down
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you got to figure out what that trade-off is and make sure it, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. The, the promotion aspect is super interesting to me. So, and the reason it's interesting is because I hate promoting my own shit. Hate it. It's super uncomfortable for me Richard has to pester me all the time. Like, dude, you got to talk about this. You got to talk about that. I, I get promotion fatigue. I think I just like have permanent promotion fatigue. Do you ever get tired of like having to promote? And I know it's part of the commitment and that kind of stuff. But are you ever just like, oh my God, I'm so tired of talking about this thing that I'm about to go do.
2: No, I don't like talk. It's just about me, Richard. Book.
1: I have, I need Thank you. therapy to deal with this.
2: It's I'm right. the only one. Okay. No, you're not, you're not the only one, you know, that's not true. So a lot of times what I find with people, because I, people will ask me that, you know, don't you feel like you're so full yourself? You're always talking about yourself. You're always selling your products. No, I don't feel like that. And here's why, you know, I, I believe that if you create something and you wholeheartedly believe in it, you create it to help people. That's why I create things, right? I have a good intention in my heart and i have seen how when i create things and i move forward and push them and promote them and how they can change people's lives i have that same hope for my new book right i have that same hope that it can touch and help people and change their lives and they will benefit from it so i don't make it about me scott i make it about them and i make it about that potential end user and how what if i deplete this from them what if i deny them access to this that's not fair and it's my job and my pursuit to make sure everybody knows about it. If they choose to pick it up and buy it, that's on them, right? It's not on me, but it's my job to make sure it's there for them.
0: See, I'm going to step back from the computer now. I'm going to have you repeat the exact same thing so that Scott can listen really closely to what you said. And as much as I poked at Scott about this, his that is his mentality that he coaches other people, right? Like I think so often, and I do the same thing too, of like, oh, I can give... Great advice to people. And a lot of times I don't follow it myself. Right. And I think that's a big difference between good and great is the advice you can give others, if you're willing to look in your mirror and and own it yourself, that will help propel you as much as it does them. And then you'll get to the next level to help take them to the next level.
1: Um, well, that's think- that's the that's the right narrative that Heather just described. Like as she's talking, I'm like, yep, 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 that's a thousand million percent right. I struggle with maintaining that, that narrative in my head. It kind of yeah, works But you've got a
0: lot of stuff to promote, time. Scott. Like you've got bonfires. And, I mean, you know, not to say that Heather doesn't, but you've got a lot of little things, whereas Heather's yeah, maybe, maybe, thing maybe driving that, a big ship.
1: Yeah, but maybe that's part of the the reason for my question line of questioning, right? Is like, I'm trying to understand how to prioritize certain things. And maybe Heather's saying no to more things than I am for a specific reason. And that helps her keep that mindset and not get promotion fatigue, as I call it, because I'm scattered amongst all these different things and entities that I'm that I'm working on. And this is- All right,
2: so let's, let's dive into Scott here a little bit. Okay, oh, number yes. one Scott. Here we go. Good, yes. <laughs> number one, you need to buy my book, Overcome Your Villains, right? This book was written for you because I can already tell you are your number one villain. I can just tell us listening to you right now, okay? So that's the easiest one to fix. So the whole book is about this. It's a three-step process that I want you to use. It starts with your beliefs it moves to action. And then, and finally with knowledge, but just even hearing the story that you're telling yourself right now, that everything is all over. And then I've got all these, that's a story that you're creating for yourself. So the first thing that I want you to do is that belief that you have, that you have so many things going on. I want you to deconstruct it to whatever is the absolute fact, like Get rid of all the bullshit that you're spinning up around it and look at the absolute fact. And and I don't know, I'm making it up, but let's say you have six products to sell, and here's your best ROI, and here's where you're spending the majority of your time. Let's look at it from a factual business standpoint. Take emotion out of it, back up from it, drop the story, and let's make some strong business decisions for you and clear out whatever that mess is. Next, let's take action, right? Like, what? action step can you take right now to improve this situation? And then finally, it's about the knowledge that you're going to surround yourself moving forward. You're going to keep coming back to the book. You're going to keep going back to the chapter about the people you're helping, not about you, right? You're going to curate the knowledge that you're accessing in and really be intentional about it so that you can keep this thing moving forward in a more positive fashion for you.
1: Richard, I don't know if you know, but um, I just hired Heather as my career coach right now.
2: (laughs) on the spot
1: I just so, I just wired her you know a lot of money it's waiting for her in her bank I, I'm literally on Amazon I'm sharing
0: the screen on it that I was trying to buy there it I for see it Scott. He's, not,
1: he's not lying yeah
0: yeah, yeah and literally I was like I'm gonna send this to Scott and I'm like
2: wait, but no but Richard let me tell you one more thing about this and this is good for the listeners right now so Harper Collins said to me Heather we want you to sell 7,000 books before launch and I said guys hang on a second If we're asking someone to do something and we're not giving them something for that value, we have to give them something more immediately. So I put together, for anyone that pre-orders a book, including Scott, when you go to overcomeyourvillains.com, you log in, your order number there, you immediately can download my $299 confidence video course for free, my 30-day email program for free, my Overcome Your Villains workbook for free, the first chapter of the book for free. You get so much value for free right in that moment so you can get started today, Scott on improving your situation and you don't have to wait for the book to come out.
0: That's come good. Out. Cause it comes out, it comes out November 9th. And we're going to be on airplanes to Costa Rica. So uh, maybe <laughs> well, that's down true.
1: What that's there. perfect timing actually.
0: Right. It is really good timing. So um, now the other thing that I know is going on in Scott's head, he's like, Oh, they're going to get her to sell 7,000 books. But I wonder if they made, if they paid her to give away all that other stuff for free, like Scott's going, no, here.
2: they oh, didn't, they didn't pay oh, me to do that. Yeah. I came up with that.
0: So that's
1: yeah, they don't that's where that. you they need don't to hire that. Scott. Scott would have said,
0: guy. hey, you <laughs> gotta pay me X if you want me to give away all this.
2: So, no, they don't, they don't play that game.
0: So uh that's that's fascinating. So how did where did this one come from? This overcoming your deal? Like I'm happy to talk about the book. I don't mind promoting it. Um overcome your Billings. clearly
2: no. I don't either. <laughs> so
0: uh but where did it come from? Was it like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing all along and I just haven't written it down? Or was it like, how did how did it come about?
2: Interesting, and it's a really good question. So thank you for asking it. Um, I, this is going back maybe two years ago. I got on a phone call with an older gentleman who has a really successful career in sales and, and keynote speaking. And I was asking him for advice on, you know cause I'm only a couple of years into this thing. And I'm saying, what am I missing out on? What could I be doing better, more efficiently, more effectively? And he said, you know what you don't do that I know you have within you? And I said, what? He said, you haven't boiled down what your special thing is into a really simplistic process that anyone and everyone can go ahead and implement in their life. He said, and that's my challenge for you right now. Start thinking, what is it that Heather does that she keeps doing on repeat, repeat, repeat her whole life that if everybody else started doing, they could have success too. And it, it didn't come to me right away. You know, it was something that I started just, like I with anything and, you know, any business problem I have, I, I just whiteboard and I start like throwing things down and throw things down and then I start getting rid of things that don't make sense. And at the end, I really had it boiled down to, you know, I'm always trying to evaluate my beliefs and deconstruct them because a lot of them are false narratives that have no place in my life. And when I pause and really dig into it, I can say, wait a minute, I'm gonna change the story. I'm not gonna believe this anymore. It's not true. I take more action than any person I've ever met in my life. So if I make the number two step on no matter once you get get through your belief, the first thing you do is take action. If people start living in that way, they'll start building momentum, moving themselves forward much more rapidly. And then I thought about, I'm really good at curating the knowledge I surround myself with so I can sustain. Because if you keep going back to the old people you went to high school with, they're going to keep pulling you back into, oh, it's way more fun to hang out and not work. Forget about that. Versus, you start curating. I want to be running at a higher level. I want to be running faster. I have to start rolling and running with people who are ahead of me.
1: Now, this is the part which is Richard's therapy, which is the take action part, right, Richard? Completely. Yeah. So we spent we spent time picking on me. We got to spend some time picking on you now.
2: Scott, go on Amazon and buy the book right now for Richard. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) I think we are. I think we are. Can you talk to us a little bit about? How you think about your um, your business funnel, like inbound versus the amount of time you spend prospecting versus referrals? How how do you think about that, and and what's the breakdown there?
2: You know, so it's interesting. Let's talk about it. There's different businesses here, obviously, but let's talk about it in regards to the speaking business because that's my biggest revenue sure. you know generating opportunity, right? So currently, so. For me, when I first was trying to figure this out, I thought agents, agents is the way for me. If I can get agents to start pitching me, they already have the contacts. They know who has the budget, right? This is a smarter, faster way to go about it. So I went out and spent a lot of time landing agents. Turns out that agents are great when they want you. They're not so great when you want them. So that was sort of like a loss leader concept for me. So I had to, you know, here I am. I'm always testing and trying different things. She tried
1: that one, didn't work.
2: It's it, it hasn't been it hasn't been that fruitful for me. However, what is fruitful, and this is for the listeners, I made an investment in myself five years ago, and I launched a personal brand, having no idea like what would come of it. But you know, I spent money, time. You know, what are my brand pillars? How often am I going to create content? What kind of content will I create? What do I stand for? And you know, and I, I really got thoughtful about this, put put this content out there, I had a website, had so- social handles, whatever. I ended up getting fired. And the thing that's really saved me is the fact that I had started building community, that I had started putting content out there. Yeah. That was really a test marketplace for me to see what resonates, what works, what doesn't. And it started pulling people and opportunities towards me. So organically, over the last couple of years, I've been able to really pull opportunities towards me basically from LinkedIn primarily and you know through my website and my, and my email outreach that that's what's been able to spin up my business, especially during the pandemic.
1: Imagine that, Richard, a VP of sales, She's building a their personal dude. brand to save their ass after right. they get fired. Does it sound familiar? How many Sounds times? Very
0: familiar. Yeah. Sounds very familiar. That's how we all started, right? That's right.
1: So I, I think, Scott, if you
0: would shave and pull your hair back tight, like hell, you would be <laughs> doppelgangers. Like, I'm not kidding. Like... Completely. You have the same long spatial structure, right? You got the it's same similar, blue eyes. Like. It's
1: a similar, a similar story. A similar yeah. story. That's uh, so funny. Can you give before we get out of here and we're kind of coming up against the, the end of the hour, unfortunately, but can you give the the listeners and Richard and I for that matter, like what's like the first three actionable steps somebody could take if they want to break into the speaking business? Like how to become a professional speaker one oh one.
2: First of all, you've gotta be patient and I'm the least patient person in the world. It's not something that's gonna blow up for you after a year, right? I had 20 years experience speaking in corporate America on very large stages. I have footage of me, testimonials of me, right? You you need all this stuff to to break into speaking. However, no one cared when it came to professional speaking and professional speaking, it has to be, are you being paid by Google? Are you being paid by Harvard, right? So wherever you are, start now, start speaking for charities, start speaking for your kids' school, get footage of it, get testimonials, start talking about it on social media, sharing clips, sharing content, and start finding out who's spending money on what. Right now, a lot of companies are spending money on virtual speakers who will come in to get teams excited about being on Zoom or approaching clients on Zoom or how to target customers during Zoom Or mental, you know, health. How to help employees? So see what companies are spending money on, and see if your offering can solve the problem that they have. And start aggressively pitching and marketing yourself to those people. Use the same hashtags they're using. DM them on LinkedIn. Hopefully, you have a presence on LinkedIn, and keep sharing that content that you're already creating and the feedback that your clients are are talking about you.
0: Yeah, we've been doing all this, and again, she's smart enough to. Articulate it better than we do, right? Yeah, so well, that's, why, that's why
1: she's Heather and we are us, right? Exactly. Why
2: you? Why you guys are both speaking and you're not? You're. It's not clicking.
1: No, <laughs> I think it
0: clicks. I think it's a question of, um, not necessarily thinking about, like you explained it like, Oh yeah, I guess people do want to see the video. Oh yeah. I guess they do want to do this. I guess they will want to get, you know, just like anything else we do, right. Your customers will sell better for you than anything else. Right. So that's and, how uh, I
2: landed Harvard. I created a video of me talking about sales and some some simple sales thing. You never know the domino that you're going to push over the edge when you create content and Yes. Nothing might happen for months. Nothing might happen for a year. But then all of a sudden you get a call from Harvard and they say, Hey, we just saw that video that you created. Would you like to be a guest professor here? And that led into more opportunity. And
0: that, that I get like, that's the stuff I think Scott and I are very good at. And to your point, we use LinkedIn as the primary medium. Um, And, you know, we've had questions, like we're recording this as a video, as well as, a regular podcast so we've got 268 or 268 of episodes that we've done nothing with like we know it's content we know it's video it's just, grams, sitting in the it's just sitting posts. in the vault right now man. right and yeah. we're just and and I think part of it is the we know that it'll do what you say part of us are just looking at it going that's a pretty heavy lift like who's going to do that
2: Get an intern. Start posting about interns and that you want interns and who wants to learn the sales business and who you know and start getting these young people to come over and do the stuff for you.
0: Scott does that better than I do, although I'm getting better at it. We just haven't done it uh, at that scale, but I I agree with you. We could probably make that work. Plus, they get the skills of like chopping up videos and
1: you know. They like to
2: do it, and they're going to learn. You're helping them too.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 the 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 question to some level becomes like. If I decide to go more of this like professional speaker or virtual speaker kind of route, which I've strategically decided not to do up until now, what am I going to put down as, as we've kind of been talking about? And it's not fully just about ROI for me. It's a little bit about where I want to spend my time. What are the things that I want to be doing? So that that that's part of it. I completely agree with, with what you're saying, and it's the actionable piece that I feel like when the time is right, I'll flip the switch and go for it. But I don't think the time has been quite right up until now, up until now. Oh, well, Heather, we've enjoyed this, uh, this conversation. We want to thank Salesforce, Vidyard, Reggie, and Outreach for supporting us in the Surf and Sales podcast, as well as the Surf and Sales Summit. We always try to end every show by saying, how can we be helpful to you? Is there any questions you want to ask us? So, we turn the, the mic over to you. What can we do for you?
2: Oh My gosh, I'm so interested to know more about these challenges of, that you're describing. So what what is it that you're spending so much time on that's bogging you down so much that you're so passionate about you can't let go of? So
1: you're talking to me. Yeah,
2: Scott.
1: Uh Okay, so uh, I have my own consulting business, so I'm a strategic advisor to roughly eight to ten startups uh at any given time uh, i run surf and sales the summit with with richard as well as the podcast i released not one but two books this year i have two other books that i'm co-authoring right now i run my own patreon community i run a business called thursday night sales which has events every thursday as well as a live event we're putting on in october i've I've uh, deployed 55, 60,000 of capital in, as an angel investor so far this year, as well as participated in a, a venture fund. So I became an LP. I do private sales coaching and mentoring. And uh, I got two kids who play five select sports at any given time. And uh, I've got a truckload of health problems and have had health problems for 20 plus years. And so it's a delicate dance for me in in terms of what all I can do before certain things start to start to slip. So that's that's
2: that's
1: kind of what I got going on.
2: We're going to give you a deadline right now because this is going to help your health because it was interesting the way you're explaining your business is it's, it's very similar to your health, right? Like there's a lot of things going on. And so let's pare them down. So there's less things going on. So what I would challenge you to do, and Richard, you can hold them accountable, or I'm happy to as well. Let's give them a deadline. Why not build out a PL on every single business item that you just touched on, and attach to each one a passion number, like on a one to ten, where where is it? You know, where does this rank with your passion? And then as you step back, in how many hours, you know, estimate, are you uh, you know attributing to each one of these in a given week? And step back from it and look at the big picture. You know, not down in the weeds, but step back and say. Wait a minute. If I'm spending all this time on this, the passion level on it is like a three, and I'm looking at the PL, it's not a strong ROI. Then that's the one that need, you need to fire. One of these villains, one of, at least one of yeah. these businesses, probably a couple.
1: Yeah, it's probably it's it's probably true. And I have fired one business that I've I've cut off, starting uh, well actually starting in late September, moving into October. But Richard, do you hear? She's like trying to turn me into a real business person. Did you hear this? Right. I did. And I'm sitting
0: here going, Scott has, done this, he preaches this, he does this. But again, it's back to that. We don't take our own advice. Yeah, I do it
1: for everybody except myself.
0: Right. right. And, uh, at least for me, like I, I wasn't joking when, when you asked, I was actually answering for me, what's getting in my way is the fear. Right. And I know Scott, Scott is very money motivated. He's very happy. Um, very happy being miserable that he thinks he's going to go broke when I know the numbers and he's not, he's never going to go broke. He's got more than enough. Um, He's not, I wouldn't call it fuck you money, but he's certainly got, you know, more than enough fun money. And, uh, and I think for me, my, that is always my fear of what happens if something goes away. Scott's is the same way, but he's built more silos of revenue than I have. He's got more streams coming in. So, but it's the fear thing that's, scares me, right? Like, you know, that's my, oh shit. If I spend time on this, what about the other thing? Like if I go spend time working on my book, which I still need to do, Scott knows for years, you know, what happens to my LinkedIn profile? Cause I'm not spending time on that. Right. You
2: outsource Um, that to a VA, right? And then it only takes time on the weekends putting the plan together. I mean, you just become more efficient. Delegate where you can and prioritize. Wait, which part do you
0: delegate? The LinkedIn part or the
2: delegate as much as you can. What everything and anything that you can delegate, delegate. All of it. You should only be showing up when you're live on the podcast, when you're, you know, when you're giving the speech or or writing the book.
1: Never do anything yourself you can get somebody else to do for you by paying them. Right. So there you go. All right, I, I am I am learned coming out of this conversation. Richard and I are going to go back and watch this episode like fourteen times and and just coach ourselves.
0: No, well, not, Scott. we're not. We're going to be afraid need- to
1: watch it. We're going to be like, I don't want to hear that shit anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to be afraid to watch it. It's about time we had somebody on the show to kick our ass. Richard, agreed. He,
2: he, totally here's agree. Here's Richard. Though I do want to leave you with this because this was a big holdback for me, fear my whole life. And even though on the outside people would see me as successful, right? but I was—I really wasn't because I was never stepping into my potential. I wasn't realizing my potential for fear. Fear, I could get fired. Fear, they wouldn't like it. Fear, fear, fear. And so I hear that with you. And I chose a couple of years ago to reframe fear as a green light that means go and go faster. And it has changed my entire life. I almost didn't walk out on to the little red circle for my TEDx talk. I was so overcome by fear in that moment. And I remember saying to myself like fear is a green light that means go and go faster you step into it and that's who you are and that's who you'll be proud of and as you begin to challenge yourself to to say this to yourself start pushing yourself the small things start there start building the momentum and then start leveraging those small successes and wins as proof that you can keep going to that next level and keep seeing fear as a green light
0: i'm gonna have to borrow that make that a chapter in my book This (laughs) Listen,
2: this exactly is the name mine. Of- <laughs> Oh, shit. I can't.
1: Damn it. <laughs> oh, it's, it's copy We got to alter it a little bit and somehow make it the name of the yeah. podcast episode, Richard. Maybe right. we can, we can do that. I, I think
0: part of it is I need to take real advice of a uh, yellow light means go faster. Like stop looking at these yellow lights and let them become red lights and just plow through it. But uh, Heather, this has been awesome. Like I can't believe this hour flew by like crazy. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And all the world of advice, like amazing, amazing advice. And thanks for, for kicking our butts too, to get out of our own way. So thank you.
2: Well, thanks for having me guys. And thanks for helping me to promote the book over yes. your villains. Go check out the website now.
1: All right. We we're will on do it. it. You just sold two copies by the way. Right. <laughs> so now you just need 6,998 more.
2: I think we got a little jump ahead on that. <laughs> yeah. All right. yeah.
1: All right, thanks so much. Heather. Thanks Heather.
2: Thanks,